Welcome to Policy Pod, PORF podcast. This episode is part of the Raisena Dialogue 2021, India's annual premier conference on geopolitics and geoeconomics. The conference is hosted by ORF in partnership with the Ministry of External Affairs, Government of India. So welcome to the Raisina Dialogue and today we are bringing you a very special conversation with John Kerry who is President Biden's special envoy on climate and his job is simple to get the world to act fast enough and at scale to respond to climate change. Mr Kerry, welcome to the dialogue and let me first ask you about your trip so far and how are things progressing? Well, we've had a great trip. We've had a lot of uh, meetings uh, with Uh, many of the ministers of uh, Prime Minister Modi's government, uh, the finance minister, the minister of the environment, uh, the foreign minister. Today we'll be talking with the uh, minister of power, the minister of energy, and then I'll be meeting with the prime minister this evening. And all told, it's been uh, uh, very constructive uh, and positive, I think. I think there's a big appetite in India and I know the Prime Minister is deeply committed to moving as fast as possible uh, to living up to responsibilities through Paris and beyond and uh, my hope is that we will be able to build a new partnership between the United States and India to accelerate the deployment of the 450 gigawatts of renewable power. That alone would make an enormous difference on a global basis for leadership from a large economy. Mr. Kerry, let me ask you, what are your hopes from the April 22nd climate change summit that President Biden is hosting? Is it a big, bold announcement of the United States leadership coming back into the climate arena? Or are there additional outcomes that the US president would like to see? No, it's not an effort that has anything to do with the U.S. trying to prove something. It has to do with our conviction, President Biden's conviction, that this is one of, if not the most important issue facing the planet, all governments. And knowing that we're only seven months away from a major negotiation internationally, uh, President Biden wants to uh, assist in the process of raising ambition of countries all around the world. That's the reason for this summit. It is to help raise the ambition of countries to move faster over the course of 2021 to 2030. This decade is um, absolutely vital if we're going to meet the goal of holding the Earth's temperature increase to 1.5 degrees Celsius and if we're going to achieve net zero by 2050. If we don't do what we need to do in this decade, we've blown away that goal of 1.5 and of net 50, of, of 2050. So it's a vital, vital moment. It's a decision decade. And uh, President Biden wants to make certain that we are making those decisions. Well, thank you for that response, uh, Mr. Kerry. How do you see the India-US bilateral relationship developing on climate change? And In your uh, estimation, what are the elements that require greater attention, greater energy, greater focus uh, between the two countries? India and the United States both share a passion for and a long accomplished uh, life of uh, 
innovation, research, technology, breaking the barriers. And I think that uh, these two great democracies have an opportunity to come together to harmonize some of our initiatives to find the new fuels, the new technologies, the battery storage, the direct carbon capture technology, whatever it is that is going to help us to uh, meet this challenge and do what we need to do in these few short years. Uh, India uh, has uh, already made a very significant commitment by deploying massive amount of solar and, and, and wind increasingly. Uh, Prime Minister Modi has committed to deploy 450 gigawatts over the course of these 10 years. And uh, that's a huge um, contribution to all of our efforts to try to um, shift from the reliance on fossil fuels and begin to move into the new economy, the new energy economy. And uh, we hope that in this partnership that we could work together to set an example for other countries, to inspire other countries to raise their ambition, and, and most importantly, to actually be successful in breaking through on the frontier of some of these new technologies. 50% uh, of the emissions reduction that we need to achieve is going to come, I am told, from technologies that are not yet even in the market. So we've got a big challenge ahead of us. And I think if India and the United States, the second and third largest emitters in the world, can come together, that's a, that's a significant step forward. Secretary Kerry, without private finance flowing into climate-sensitive countries and sectors, such as those in India and other parts of the emerging world, meaningful action is not possible. Are financial institutions in the United States of America and other OECD countries on board? And given that the US has such large spending plans for its domestic economy, uh, can it take leadership in ensuring large chunks of big capital flow into the developing world? Let me take the second part first. We have put uh, in our budget, President Biden has already instructed the budgeteers to make certain that we're living up to our responsibility to help do our share of providing the 100 billion that was promised in Paris in order for smaller nations, less developed nations, to be able to leapfrog, to make the transition to new technologies without having to share in the mistakes that we and others have made uh, in the past uh, with respect to our dependency on this energy base. Uh, with respect to the new money needed, um, no government in the world has enough money to put on the table what is needed to affect this transition. The UN finance gap report tells us that we have trillions of dollars of, de of deficiency in what we need to find in order to do the job. But there are trillions of dollars in the private sector, and there are now increasing numbers of private sector CEOs of banks, of asset management companies, of funds, and so forth, who all of whom have uh, accepted the reality of the challenge of the science. They know this is happening. They know we have to respond, and they know that financially they're going to be held accountable for the judgments they're making and, and the inputs that will go into those judgments. So financial disclosure 
is now a requirement in Europe. President Biden will be issuing a financial disclosure executive order. There are other uh, jurisdictions that are increasingly focused on making certain that there's, that there's fiduciary responsibility uh, as people look at the risks of the future, and the biggest risk of all is the climate crisis. So uh, we are working, I've personally been working with some of our largest asset managers and banks. They are fully prepared to be very specific about the hundreds of billions of dollars that are going to start to be allocated directly into uh, uh, climate, into mitigation efforts, as well as into uh, the deployment of some of these technologies uh, and processes that are going to pull us back from the brink. So I'm very excited about it. I think that we're looking at the prospect of the largest market the world has ever known becoming a reality, and there will be amazing amounts of capital allocated to try to win that market. Whoever comes up with battery storage, or whoever comes up with the best way to take to scale hydrogen, green hydrogen, blue hydrogen, that's game changers. Not only in terms of, of finance and investment, but it's a huge game changer in terms of what we have to achieve to win this battle. Mr. Kerry, climate change is already impacting lives and livelihoods around the world. We have not put in financial strategies and adaptation strategies, in fact. Do you think adaptation is the weak link in our response to climate change? And can we focus on adaptation without compromising on mitigation? No, it, 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 it's, it's, it's difficult, but it's not the weak link. It's, it's just, uh, and, and of course, we don't have to compromise in order to deal with it. But it hasn't gotten the funding that it needs, clearly. I think the reason is that a lot of people have difficulty tapping into a disaster that hasn't yet happened. That, that adaptation is building a wall or a, you know, a, 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 somehow uh, mitigating against the potential of flood. The, there are all kinds of precautionary things that you build to do that. And a lot of people just say, well, you know, I'm not totally convinced that this is going to do it or that it is going to happen, you know, the bad thing is going to happen or that this is the way to go. So it's been slower on the uptake, but now I think more and more people are aware with island states being threatened, with lowlands threatened, with major cities threatened on coastlines, more and more people are waking up and saying, you know what, <laughs> this is happening and we better get ahead of the curve now. So I see major increasing funds. We've allocated additional funds to a crisis, uh, to a climate resilient uh, program. Uh, not yet enough uh, in total, but I do think there is a greater awareness that uh, uh, the damages are very, very expensive and it would be smarter to invest less money in order to prevent them from happening in the first place. We spent, in America, we spent $265 billion a few years ago just to clean up after three storms. All the economists will now tell you that uh, it is more expensive to do nothing and wait for the problems than it is to get ahead of them. So I think increasingly adaptation and resilience are, are on the table together with mitigation, uh, which is obviously also critical. 
Now, while the push towards net zero is commendable, and certainly it's something that we must aspire towards as a longer term objective, we would like to know that what are the dramatic measures that developed economies are going to take in the near term? We continue to see the use of coal, oil, and gas. We continue to see fossil CO2 being produced in the developed economies. What is the drastic measure that we could see the rich world take in order to reduce our emissions and meet our net zero ambitions? Well, I may surprise you with this answer, but I think the, it's the wrong framework to be talking about uh, the old paradigm of you know, how are we going to get our share of being able to burn the carbon to make up for what's happened. Uh, we have set a goal in 2035, President Biden has set a goal, that the United States of America is going to have its power produced carbon-free by 2035. And what people should be thinking about is not how do they get carbon space, but how do they get the energy space, the new energy available to them. So that if it's hydrogen, are they going to share in it? Are they going to be able to afford it? Can we make that sort of part of a shared process for countries all around the world? And if we think differently about how we're going to power our country down the road, we don't want countries uh, to be building a new coal-fired power plant or thinking about a long-term dependency on gas, which is methane, and which is also damaging to the uh, environment, the atmosphere, uh, and, and, and to be hopefully in the long run diminished. But right now, while you have coal, gas is important. And while we don't have battery storage and we don't have sufficient uh, fullness to the grid of many countries in the world so that they can uh, provide baseload power to companies so that they can run 24-7, 365, which they want to do and need to do, rather than uh, being dependent on, say, just solar and wind so that when the wind isn't blowing or the sun isn't shining, they got a problem. So how do you avoid that? Well, that's been the rationale for building coal, but we don't need the coal. Coal, the marketplace has already decided, is uh, the worst choice. It's more expensive than using solar or wind, and it is more damaging than using gas or hydro or other options that are available. So I, I've seen the market now move away. Not governments telling you you can't do it necessarily, but the market. No bank in America, no bank in Europe, and increasingly no bank or funds in many other parts of the world will fund a coal-fired plant. It's a bad proposition. And, and many of the plants that exist today are operating at 50% capacity and losing money. The fact is solar is cheaper, solar is clean, solar is renewable. And you can fill out much of your needs in a country with renewables and then create a base load that comes from something less polluting than coal. So I think um, that's the better debate to be having. How do we rapidly leapfrog here to get our energy uh, coming from places that make us more secure, that make us healthier, provide clean jobs, and more jobs now, because the creation of this transition is going to be job-rich. Tens of millions of jobs are going to be created, building out the grids, retrofitting buildings, uh, building the new electric vehicles. I mean, K 
countless things that have to be done. I'm very excited about it. I think it's an amazing, it's really the largest transformation of an economy since the Industrial Revolution. Bigger by far than the 1990s uh, tech boom uh, that brought us uh, desktop computers and, and telephones and so forth. This is going to be bigger because it's going to employ far more people and it's going to have far more uh, uh, transformational impact on the way we live and the choices that we make. Thank you so much for joining us uh, at the Raisina Dialogue, uh, Mr. Kerry. I wish you all the best for your trip to India. And of course, during this very important year when the world needs to restart and build back better green. But clearly, the view from Delhi is that unless we can see large movement of capital across borders, two key sectors and infrastructure, we are unlikely to be able to meet both the important objectives we must set for ourselves, sustainable development goals and green growth. Wishing you all the very best from the Raisina Dialogue and thank you once again. Good to be with you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.